the Rainbow Umbrella Group. And thank you for tuning in. The 10th podcast is, well, God, it's, it's, I can't believe we're here already. So it's fantastic. And thank you all our listeners for supporting us and listening to us. Um, this podcast has been set up for folks who identify as lesbian. I'm one of your hosts, Caroline, and let me introduce you to my co-host, Becky. Hello, Becky. I've got virtual uh, party poppers because I can't believe we've done 10 episodes either. It's amazing, isn't it? And what stories we've uh, heard. Amazing. Lovely, amazing stories from amazing group of women. We've been so lucky with everybody we've talked to and we've so many more podcasts to do over the coming months as well with lovely, lovely people. I'm learning a lot, though. It's good. Yeah. Now, we would like you to rate our podcasts, um, folks. If you are listening, do rate us on Apple, Spotify. It, it, we, and we are on Facebook, so join our Facebook group. Like, follow us, the Rainbow Umbrella Group, and we're on Instagram as well. We have a disclaimer. Again, this is uh, you know, a podcast. We are speaking from our own experiences, not speaking for the entire community. We really are here just to be an ally for folks who identify as lesbian. So, Becky, you're back home. I am back yeah. home. Uh, quite enjoy being home. I don't think, the, well, my little new dog, I told you I've got a new dog yeah. or newish dog. I think he spent more time in the camper van than here. So this is day three of him being in the house. So um, if he joins in our conversation today, you're here because it'll be a sneeze, I'm sure. <laughs> He's welcome to join us. So, Becky, we have a lovely, lovely guest today. I think I was telling you about Carissa, um, who I work with. So let me introduce Carissa. Welcome, Carissa, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. For having My, me. Thank you. Myself and Carissa actually work together in the same company. I first met or heard of Carissa at last month in October. I think it was October the 11th, International Coming Out Day. Um, our company had just a series of, of people talking around their coming out stories. And I loved Carissa's energy. My God, you were so energetic on that call. And I loved what you said. You love because you came out late and you said, I love coming out. And I'm like, I've never heard anybody say that. Myself and Becky have talked about this in the past. We I, I, I just don't. I, I just go my partner and then I'll drop in girl or whatever. But female or whatever but I just loved your story and I really was thank you for coming on because I wanted you to share that with with the people on our podcast so Carissa you came out in your 30s I did and uh it was it was quite a journey although I will tell you to this day I'm in my 40s now I I do feel a little silly honestly looking back on it in retrospect because my uh, youth, I grew up in Texas, in the U.S., and um, in in the 80s and 90s, uh, growing up in Texas and, and in the U.S. and really across the world in a lot of ways, um, you know, being gay only looked one very specific way. It looked one specific way for boys. It looked one specific way for girls. Um, and in the culture that I grew up in, um, gayness was extremely fringe and it just wasn't even a part of the narrative. So what we would now refer to as like the heteronormative kind of standards were completely invisible. And so um, I uh, was actually um, an ally to, L to the LGBTQ community for years, if not decades, um, before um, my own sort of experience and language and exposure um, broadened to include a much more thorough, more complete, more rich um, and gorgeous um, variety of queer stories and queer identities. Um, and so it was later in life that I realized, um, you know, that my my dating history, my lifestyle, all of my choices and my to my very personality were absolutely informed by queerness, that I was in fact gay. I was not, um, I don't identify as a lesbian. I identify as demi-pan. Um, I have had female relationships. Um, I have had male relationships. I tend to, uh, um, you know, I, 
I tend to be attracted to people's vibe, right? Um, <laughs> but I've always been uh, very, I've always been monogamous. Um, and so that's, it's all big part of the culture. Yeah. Demi Pan. Um, I have never heard of Demi Pan. So would you mind sharing? No, please. Um, uh, so um, pansexuality, right, is, uh, is that, um, right, it's people who are attracted uh, sort of independently of gendered, in particular gender stereotypes. But for example, uh, my high school sweetheart um, at the time that we were high school sweethearts, um, would ha was characterized um, as a very effeminate boy, um, a, a sissy boy, if I may. Um, that's not a very nice way to refer to her. Um, but uh, now she's um, a gorgeous transgender woman. Um, and, uh, you know, when I, again, uh, grew in my understanding and my exposure, um, more secure in myself, in my own relationships, my own identity. Um, and I looked uh, and I started to have this idea, this awakening of gayness, uh, queerness inside me. Um, I, you know, in retrospect, it's like, well, of course, of course, I, um, of course, I'm queer. Of course, this has always been a very big part of my life. Um, so I do love, absolutely love coming out. I never, ever miss an opportunity. I feel like I have a lot of queerness to catch up on and I come out as much as humanly possible. Because <laughs> you, as you said, you were an ally to to the LGBT community for all, most of your life and you married a man and had kids. And then in your 30s, you realized, hold on a second. So what happened? What was that moment? Yeah, so um, my uh, my very best soulmate girlfriend uh, came out. Uh, she was also in a heterosexual marriage. She came out uh, as a lesbian, and they went through a very friendly divorce process. Uh, and she moved to San Francisco, where she now lives with her wife and their daughter. And, um, you know, I was... Uh, to the extent there was allyship and those kinds of things were discussed or considered years ago, that's definitely the role that I saw myself in. You know, again, I don't class, I, I don't identify as a classic kind of lesbian. I frankly, I consider it a personal failing that I'm not a lesbian. I would rather be. Um, I think I think lesbians are the best of us, frankly. So um, I would, but you know, that's just sort of. Um, my personal love and affinity, of course, because of my close, um, dear friendships. But I did, as I identified um, how queerness really was in me, in my story, in my experiences, and really a strong part of my identity, the more I explored that. I talked through it. Initially, I talked through it in therapy a lot. I was already seeing a therapist. I think a therapist is a thing everybody should have, um, you know. Um, a, a thoughtful, um, safe space to talk through um, all of the things that make us up and how we got here and what these things all mean. So the first place that I explored it was, was completely in therapy. Um, I did, after going through it in therapy for some time, and by some time I mean several months if not upwards of a year, I did start to talk about it very, very lightly with a handful of um, the queer people in my life. Honestly, the very first thing that I wanted to do when I started to talk about it outside of my sort of sacred therapy space was I wanted to have a better understanding for myself what I wanted to do with this information, right? Because I was mar I married, I uh, had children, I was I was genuinely coming out later in life um, and that it was a real shift in identity for some people, not for me. I've always been the person that I am. I simply lacked the language and understanding of what those, what that really meant. But I knew that it would be impactful and I wanted to be able, in particular with my partner, to be able to say, this is my identity, this is the truth of who I am and here's what I want to preserve about our relationship. Here's what I value in you. I don't want to end our marriage. 
I don't, you know, I have no interest, like whatever it is, whatever my sexuality is, you're included in it, partner Mm -hmm. of mine, beloved. Um, And, and I was, that was absolutely the absolute hardest person for me to come out to hands down. And also it was a triumphant milestone in our relationship. It was absolutely beautiful. It was hard. It was fraught. Um, But it was the first time that I genuinely was seen by my partner, Mm -hmm. truly seen all the way. And that is empowering in a way that is so hard to describe to your prior frightened self. It's so easy to understand and be so deeply connected to the fear of what this information might cause in your in your life, in your relationships, in some of the things you hold most dear. Um, but the the freedom of doing it is just so gorgeous. It's delicious. It's magnificent. Um, and once I made it through that first story, the most important story in my life, and come it came out to my partner, um, and uh, and and he was, you know, curious and uh, you know struggled with it. There was certainly I don't want to rose color it that it was like oh cool no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly was the source of a lot of conversation, but um, over time it really did deepen and strengthen our relationship and. Um, was a, a big part of how I was able to then come out everywhere. Uh, and it's a big part of why I love coming out because because my story, uh, I didn't know that it would have a happy ending. Uh, I didn't know that it would go smoothly, but ultimately it did. And I love telling that because there are those of us who didn't experience their coming out as a trauma. And I, I do think that that's a story that's missing from our culture. Wow. It's, it's, thank you for even just sharing that tiny bit. And I heard you getting and saw you getting emotional sharing it. So I, I know it's very heartfelt. And, but from my perspective, there's a couple of things, if I may. What, one is, you've always been you. So you always knew you then. Did you always sort of know somewhere? It's just, it wasn't a big revelation like it was for me. It was, it was more that you knew and it was maybe not exposed or was it something that you didn't really know but on hindsight you knew it was you did that make sense any of that question it absolutely made sense and uh i think it's i think my answer will be just as clear if or unclear (laughs) depending on how you describe it right so i have always been me um i have always had these parts of my personality i also uh certainly as a young person i was <clears throat> i'm the eldest child in my family i very much play the role of the hero child my entire mission in life was to get into a good college and to make my parents proud um and to be an achiever i really saw achievement as the the mechanism by which i would get love i would get acceptance i would have a future all of the things were um were motivated, my whole life was motivated towards performing successfully in roles where I could attain achievements. And so through that process, and certainly there's a lot behind that, that, you know, um, isn't especially, it's not necessarily relevant to this storytelling, but, um, you know, through that lens then, when you're focused on achieving goals, external goals, and to achieving those for other people. The self-reflection of who am I? What do I want to do? What do I do in the world? Really wasn't a part of how I even thought about my life. You know, I was very smart. I was, I dare say, popular. I was pretty and I grew up in the South. I'm very polite and mannerly. And, you know, I performed very effectively in all of these different roles. And I always found other women attractive. Uh, I always gravitated towards um, sort of 
outsider type of people, not underdog. I feel like that's not exactly the word I'm looking for, but just, I always knew that I was different, that there were different things about me that made, that set me apart, but I didn't understand when I was young that those things were my superpowers. (laughs) I didn't understand. And nobody told me that the things that would make me amazing in the world were the things that made me different from everybody, right? Like that that was really the magic of being me, that why I was in the world was to do the things that that Carissa was made to do, not to just check the boxes of all of these other things and other roles. Um, and so, again, it was it was sort of foolishly but innocently later in life that I was like, wait, wait, slow down. As I became a parent myself and began to sort of internally interrogate all these ideas of what do we teach and how do we teach and what are our values, you know, these are questions, at least where I grew up and the way that I grew up, these are not questions children are meant to ask. Where do I fit in in the world? The roles are there. You just go and achieve the ones that are available to you and achieve as high as possible. Make sure you fulfill your potential. Um, But as I sort of interrogated that as I became a parent, um, you know, that was just a fresh lens through which to view my life and my values and was really the start of the process of uh, who who do I really want to be? What is special and different about me? And those things that made me kind of weird or made me feel insecure or, you know, all those feelings everybody feels in some form or another as a teenager, right? Um, All of that, you know, when you're in your 30s, you just aren't constrained by those things anymore. So um, that was really the vehicle for me to say, yes, this has always been me. I just never stopped and considered that me was something, <laughs> something different from the role that I was playing. Wow. And and Chris, so you're in your 30s, you've talked to your husband, you've told him how you feel, and he's supportive of you. And what happened next? Because you now have all this information and all this knowledge about yourself, finally. <laughs> yes. What do you do yeah. with it? So... Gosh, I'm still working through what do I do with it, right? So the, the it was it was unclear to me then, and it's only slightly more clear to me now that really uh, I was never meant to fully understand the picture. I wasn't meant to understand it as a teenager. I wasn't, and I'm not meant to fully see everything about myself fully transparently <laughs> and completely rationalized and understood right now. My role is to just be who I am right now in this moment, be who I actually am, that that there's not some recipe I'm meant to follow. I'm just meant to be who I am, to bring my brashness and my silliness and my sprightly nature and my swearing way too much and my creativity and my smarts and my experience, right? My, that's my job. I, I think um, I identify so strongly with queer identity. Um, when, I, when I come out, I usually use the term queer because to me that is the broadest, most inclusive um, sort of shorthand for what is otherwise a fairly long string of terminology that people may or may not be as familiar with. Um, and, and frankly, it's just it's the term that feels the closest. It's the most home to me. It's very inclusive. And um, honestly, I think it's a journey. You know, I've always been the person that I am, but the way that I interact in the world is, you know, a lot of, there's a lot, all these different options and I don't want to close any of those doors. I want to connect with other people. I want to live authentically about who I am and bring the joy into the world that I'm meant to be making separate and apart from what the labels are or what other people expect of me. Um, well, I wanted to go back, if I may, again, your response when you told your partner, your husband, was it's the first time they genuinely see, or you were genuinely seen by your partner. Can you, not without information, but can you explain what you mean by that? Because 
often when you come out, people say, yeah, we already knew. Or, ah, that explains this. Or, um, but I don't know if I've ever experienced whereby I've shared something that someone says, oh, okay, I, I see you differently now or more genuinely now. Can you, uh -huh. can you explain what you mean by that, please? So I think the differences between it's the difference is pivots on my experience. The difference pivots on my experience. Absolutely many people um, as I've come out have said, yeah, that all fits. All that makes sense. Right. Or, or, I mean, you know, I have, uh, I, before when I, there was a time that we could have haircuts, I wore my hair fairly short in kind of a tomboyish, um, androgynous style and my hair is typically purple um, and so I, I live in Austin Texas which is a liberal bastion um, among the large red Texas uh, map and uh, you know so I mean there's there's certainly an element especially now um, because I am very out and very open about it that people are like yeah yeah that tracks that's very on brand for you whether they specifically knew it or not but with my partner and again that was the first time I really kind of said it out loud to be honest um, genuinely sort of said like hey we have a really serious important discussion to have and I need you to know that I love you I'm committed to you and I want to be with you forever and I'm queer I'm queer my identity is actually far more rich <laughs> and diverse than, than in a way what our relationship was somewhat premised on, right? All those heteronorms. And so I think his reaction was less, his reaction was really about, well, what does this mean? Because again, the predominant narrative is wife turns out to be a lesbian, divorces her husband and goes marry a woman. Yeah. Right. Even my very best friend. Right. That was her story. That's this. That's the cultural story that we tell about coming out later in life. And um, and so he was and I think rightfully concerned. What did this mean for him, for his, for our family, for the commitment we have to each other? Did I need to go explore my sexuality in some different way than what I did before I married him and committed to be monogamous to him? Um, so I think his his response on his end were, in a way, sort of the practical elements of it, if you will. And for me, the um, the real transformation was I had never truly that was that was the final step in truly accepting myself and showing my full self to my partner. Because in my life and in my relationship with my partner, there is nothing more valuable to me than being seen by him. Um, and that, so that part, I think, was really where that idea comes from of like, that was the first time that I really was my full, authentic self. And it really did provide a lot of richness into our relationship because I wasn't metering myself anymore. If I thought we went to a, a spa for a, a couple's getaway overnight, and we were in the swim up bar swimming pool. And there was a girl in a sparkly Brazilian style bikini who had a fantastic rear end. And to this day, that was years ago, we refer to sparkly butt, okay, like that's a part of you know, just the discussion in our family. Um, apparently, uh, queer women can objectify women as well. I mean, who knew? Um, so, you know, um, I, I think, again, it's uh, those things that I thought were just private or weird or I, ch I closed that off, right? I've selected my partner. And frankly, regardless of my sexuality, I've chosen my partner and he's chosen me and we've made a commitment and a bond with one another. Um, and so uh, just like, uh, you know, I don't need sexuality with other women. I don't need to explore it with other men. And he doesn't explore his with other women, right? It's the commitment that we've made. So.
is so lovely and it's so accepting of him I mean because that, that can cause so much I mean men will just assume okay well this is over now or whatever and but the fact that you guys are still together that's fantastic um and and you worked your way through it and I suppose did you go to therapy together then after that did you need to do that or it sounds so, like it was quite a smooth run it really did go for it God bless. Like it really did go pretty smoothly. And you know, here's the interesting thing and and I still even though I wasn't out and I didn't have my identity, I still chose him wisely. My true self still chose him. Right? And so in that sense, you know, he also doesn't necessarily conform to gender stereotypes in these classic archetypal ways that we might think about it. He's a very masculine presenting man, right? But in terms of the style of our relationship, the actual intimate components of our relationship, he's the nurturer. I'm not the nurturer <laughs> in my relationship with him, right? Um, he, I, I tend to fulfill more classic kind of provider role type of, uh, you know, um, the structure and the, um, you know, the workaholic and I'm, uh, I'm more um, prone to hyperbole and outbursts and uh, big, you know, emotional swells and things that we would perhaps classify as kind of more masculine. And he does, uh, he is a very masculine man physically, but he does a lot of the cooking in our house and he does a lot of the caretaking of me and our kids. And, and so there was, there was an unexposed wisdom in making a partnership with him that I think was a big part of it going smoothly because it wasn't some revelation uh, that fun fundamentally changed me, right? It was it was much more me moving closer to who I really was and more intimately into the relationships that I had um, in a more true way for me. Um, and you know, it it's not it's not a judgment or reflection on him. I mean, you know, I've I have had partners, uh, not spouses, but <laughs> I've had partners. Um, with a lot of different personality types. And I think that's part of why pansexuality is the the sexuality that I identify with, is that, you know, I do not um, personally experience attraction in the form of I like really high femme women or I like androgynous women or men or I like masculine men. I, there really truly is, if, if one were to do something horrifying, like line up my dating history visually, there's a tremendous variety, frankly. I mean, you know, it's, uh, uh, I think of uh, the Schitt's Creek David Rose quote about like, I'm, I'm a lot more, I'm less about the wine, I'm less about the label, I'm more about the wine inside, right? Like, I like red wine and white wine and rosé and, you know, a Merlot <laughs> that used to be a Chardonnay and, right, like that's the metaphor that's used in the show and I identify really strongly with that is that it's, it's hard to classify and I think that leads to, I mean, I could get theoretical about like, erasure and all of these, you know, tokenization and things like that. But, um, you know, all of that is still, still just me and my relationship with my partner. <laughs> it's amazing to, to, to hear. And, and I, 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 can you just refer to that program quickly that you just mentioned? Yeah, there's a, it's a Canadian television show called Schitt's Creek. Uh, it's written and performed by Daniel Levy and Eugene Levy. Uh, and uh, it's six seasons, and there's uh, the the primary character's name is David Rose, and he is pansexual, and uh, it's a very aff affirmative um, program that a lot of a lot of queer people, certainly in the U.S., but I think in a lot of places, really identify strongly with and and see themselves reflected. I mean, it, I would say that's a piece of yeah, you know, popular media. That's the first time I've seen myself represented on screen, frankly. That's brilliant because uh, it was. I'm a big fan of Chris Evans, who does a radio program over here, and he's mentioned, yeah. mentioned this Shit's Creek because it's quite a name that you would remember. Yeah. Uh, yes. But I, I haven't seen it or know anything. But 
I've always struggled with labels because I don't know where I fit with that. And I would also characterize myself as someone who falls in love with the person. Um, however, I try not to perhaps it's an ignorance that I should actually maybe do more about is I'm not familiar with all these labels and so you've, you've mentioned this pansexual which I sort of understand and, and get and of course have heard of it's, it's just when you refer to it as demi pan yeah. demi means obviously so, or, or half yeah so it's like yeah. wow so, is, 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 is yeah. this for other people are there other demi pans or is it is yeah it, absolutely oh, I didn't that's not a term I made up I made I think I made up cis adjacent Oh um, I feel, I feel, but that's, I did make that up. I think that it's possible. I may have read it somewhere. I don't want to claim it, but it's possible that that's a Carissa original. And I don't fully identify as cisgender. I'm clearly not transgender. I'm sort of cis adjacent. Um, and so my pronouns are she and they. Um, and, um, and they both, those are both representative of me. But in terms of um, when I think of sort of the spectrums of sexuality, right, there's, there's your sex organs that you're born with, right? And there can be a variety. There's a there's genetic variety there um, and physical manifestation, right? There's um, your sexuality about who you're attracted to. So that's, right, gay, lesbian, pan, bi, right? Um, Good old gender, that social conscript that we put on Yeah, so gender yeah. is sort of how you feel mentally about yourself, right? Like how you view yourself mentally. Uh, right. And so in that sense, there's the spectrum of you can be really femme, you can be really masculine, you can be androgynous or gender non-conforming, non-binary. Right. There's sort of a variety of terms for that middle group. I have a gender non-conforming child. Um, and so gender non-conformity is a frequent topic of discussion in our household. Um, and uh, so so demisexuality is on the spectrum of sexuality and asexuality. So if you think of sexuality as the degree of sexual attraction you feel, so that's sort of hormonal, you get the hots for somebody, right? So the, the sort of standard mainstream norm is that we all have a sexuality. The, that's a heteronormative standard, however, and there are people who identify as being asexual. They do not yep. experience physical attraction to people. They may be, uh, you know, they feel, form friendships. They have intimacy, right? It's, it's. I think there's a misconception that it means they're some sort of robotic person who doesn't feel human emotion, which is extremely uh, a mischaracterization. But on that spectrum of sexuality to ace, uh, asexuality, um, demisexual is that sort of middle ground. And so it, it, it the connotation of demisexual is more um, that you have that your sexuality isn't just randomly getting the hots for an attractive person. Um, in general, you typically form you need to form a bond with somebody. Right? That's why I kind of say it's like it's the vibe. It's the vibe of somebody that makes me actually attracted to them romantically or sexually. Right. There are plenty of people. Um, a huge variety of people that I can say are like, in my opinion, they are attractive people. And that could be a very wide spectrum. Now, the fact that I see that they are attractive and my being attracted to them are kind of two different things. And so what I'm seeing, at least in the all the media and things that I'm exposed to, is that this idea of being demi-pan sort of speaks to that idea of um, I'm not, I'm not, uh, just whole hog attracted to literally anything or anyone, right? There's, I think, um, there's some misconceptions around pansexuality. I think it means that you have the potential to be attracted to somebody regardless of their gender, but it doesn't mean that you are universally attracted to all human beings, for example, right? Um, and so for me, especially because I'm older and I'm more secure and not in a dating world, I'm monogamous, the idea of being demi-pan um, is the term I think that feels right for me because uh, I'm simply not in a more youthful, more hormonal phase of my life where I am experiencing huge swells of physical attraction to people regularly, right? It really does come down to like, that was some really sexy ideas you gave me or, you know, that kind of, uh, that, that sort of, um, you know, intimacy that isn't necessarily sexual. 
it, it it's really useful to to know because I, as I said to you, I'm not a great fan of labels, but I I'm learning to think actually it's not me that would benefit necessarily from having a label on me. It's helping others to understand who me is, and maybe that would help me be more authentic or more enable me to be me, if that makes sense. So it's interesting because historically for me, the label has always been about trying to help others understand. Um, and usually it's around trying to break through the societal, you know, stigma or whatever. Absolutely. So I, I wonder if that still is the case. It's just um, maybe there's more labels to pin our hooks on to help people understand. Why why do we have to label it? So I think soon we'll all be gone. All those labels will disappear in the next 10, 20. Well, and I think, too, this is a kind of a... I, I, this is a fun topic area for me, and I am going to encourage you to cut me off if I really start to <laughs> go wild here. But, um, you know, so I, I I know a lot about my like my personality, right? We we have I have done the work to understand myself, and um, there's a there's some gamer terminology about different personality archetypes, and within that particular archetype, I identify as a chaotic good personality, and so what that means chaotic good and that's completely separate from queerness technically I mean it's, it's just a different modality but as a chaotic good it means that um, I'm driven by my own moral compass I I don't have a problem with authority I just don't really believe in it and I it, I don't mean that in the sense that like I'm a lawbreaker or a rule breaker I just genuinely deeply ingrained in me is this idea that there simply is the right thing to do and that's where I should be going. I should just do, you know, the higher moral calling is always going to win over, well, this is how we've done it. I think that touches also the parts of me that are my creative self, right? Like it's just that idea of creativity comes from all these different places. There's usually an element of suffering and there's certainly parts of my story that include those kinds of themes. Um, but but really like uh, it's about creating a space for everybody. And, you know, I'm a site leader in my professional role um, in a company that very strongly values these ideas of diversity um, and inclusion, not just in words and not just in policies, but actually in real life within our teams, growing teams that are more creative and stronger and more dynamic because of the variety of voices that are being heard. And so, you know, I, I, have become familiar with these terms in some ways because of that. But also, um, there are a lot of young people in my life. Like, I, I tend to gravitate towards the more, I, like, missed being a millennial by, like, a year. But I sort of am, like, sort of in that category. I'm almost a digital native. And that idea of community that's created in the in the younger cultures, you know, my niece who's 11 was just like, yeah, I got on YouTube and I figured out that I'm Demi Pan. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. I love that journey for you. <laughs> you know, um, and I think, you know, when I look to the next generation of kids coming up, you know, they're I, their concepts around all of this are so much more expansive. And I do think that they're ushering in a time when the labels will be less important. And I think it's not just for sexuality, but racial identities as well, right? What is even the meaning of these things, right? There's no biological basis. There's no entomological basis. There's no historical accuracy to it, right? Like these are just labels on government forms that have governed, right? All of these, all of these decisions about who gets to be at the table and whose voice gets to be heard and who's included. And I just, I'm chaotic good. I just sort of reject all of that. I just don't really operate in a world that that is governed by those kind of forces. And I don't mean that as a, well, I do kind of mean it as an act of rebellion, but I mean it as loving rebellion. I mean it as a loving rebellion. I still am a girl from Texas. I can't (laughs) unbecome a girl from Texas who was raised to be polite and genteel. Um, 
you know, I'm colorful and I'm brash and bold, but, um, but I love people. And I think that really is a big part of my ethos as well. It's like, I want more people at the table. I want to build a bigger table and a bigger tent. And, you know, I, I am not trans exclusionary in any way, you know, like I just, and frankly, at this point in 2020 in coronavirus with what our presidential election absurdity has been i'm just not here for it anymore i am in my 40s i'm over all of this anybody who hasn't gotten with the program yet is in my rear view like this is where we're going everybody come along if you don't want to come along that's on you like you know that's and I, I do recognize there's a tremendous amount of privilege that i experience and enjoy that enables me to say things like that but uh i'm also just as equally conscious of the fact that because I enjoy these privileges, it's that much more of a responsibility of mine to speak it into existence. I'm I'm forging a that my kids will follow and your kids will follow and you know they're they're gonna have we stand on the shoulders of the women and the gay people and the people of color and yes one or two not horrifying white men and U.S. or American or international history, maybe there are a couple that are good. Um, but uh, you know, we stand on their legacy. I call on my ancestors, and and it's also my job to carry that forward um, and continue making those progress. So, thanks for coming Thank to my you. TED talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> where, where do we place the vote for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well. Uh, I'm pretty enthusiastic and that's not an uncommon reaction, although it's, it's still, uh, it's still very interesting to me that this is considered so like revolutionary. Like, how is it? I just, let's go. Come on. Come on, everybody. Let's just, I think it is because it isn't revolutionary because it is actually nothing but bloody common sense. Um, it's just for whatever reason, we've inhibited ourselves. Um, we've stuck to the norms, um, how you spoke about your need to grow up and achieve. You know, that, that we, we call that here the Protestant ethic. or That's what I grew up with. You know, it's that work ethic. It's you've got to do this. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting how I think generally most people want to do the right thing. So the good bit. But what I really like about your characteristic and your, your uh, classification, your characteristic, chaotic good, I, I like I like everything you said. And it's been it's been really eye opening, ear opening and everything else to to hear what you've been saying. So um, you're not at all enthusiastic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell you, Becky. <laughs> I did tell you she was very energetic. <laughs> and thank you, Chris. I'm telling you. I just this stuff gets me fired up like the mm -hmm. magic that's available to us right I just can't I can't unknow that the systems that we live in we made up people before us made all of this up it's made up and we've all agreed to it I don't agree anymore and I'm not going to live in a way that continues to perpetuate it and if that means that I have to yield some things for the benefit of somebody else, I'm more than happy to do that. True. And, and I, it's like, I think because I'm not getting onto politics, but I think because we've been, it, our political system's broken, um, our ways of being, our systems, the, the endemic stuff that we've learned, the systems are broken. It's like, well, how do we create a new world, if that makes sense, or a new way of being um, where everybody is an individual, if they choose to be an individual, and how they can um, prosper in that time and have that equality. And I think introducing yourself with your name and your pronouns is a tiny little revolutionary act. If you just say, hi, my name is Carissa, my pronouns are she, they, like that's a, you've now started an entirely different conversation than, hi, I'm Carissa, I work at blank. This is my job, right? I'm not defining myself based on my productivity or my social status or whatever, right? I'm I'm defining myself by my queerness. I'm inviting that into the conversation. And by doing that, I'm extending the conversation and inviting other people to share some truer form of their personality, right? I think, you know, it's, it's, I think those little things do make a difference. Understanding the terminology, showing up for people who are not cisgender, people who do not identify 
um, you know, kind of in these classic, if you will, accepted kinds of labels, right? Um, I think that, you know, if my 11-year-old niece wants to be one identity today and a different one tomorrow and 15 different ones next year, then fucking great. Be all of those things. Be all of the person that you can be and then be somebody different. What I care about is her being happy and healthy and loved, you know. So how do we make that world? <laughs> That's the one I want to be in. That's you know? where we lose focus because it is all about just people being happy and healthy and, 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 and having that support. But Carissa, thank you so much. What a great conversation we had with you today. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. And it's yeah. such a lovely story. Yeah. From the time I met you back in October online, <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to I got to find out more about this woman. <laughs> it was brilliant. So, thank well, you so I'm much. an open book. I can't I can't come out more because I recognize that this is a piece that I have to bring into the world is making space for these kinds of things. So I appreciate you having the audacity to invite me to have this conversation. I'm really humbled by it. And humble is not a feeling I actually experience all that often if I'm being honest <laughs> but um it really is humbling and it's charming and thank you I um I do think that that we should create we should co-create these kinds of conversations and normalize these experiences because man being queer is the flipping best it's just the best do it <laughs> Being queer, being queer is, is the flipping best. It's the <laughs> best. Being queer is the best. Everybody should do it. <laughs> Wowie. Um, again, I've, I've, I've made notes. I've made notes because there's so many great phrases. Uh, you know, culture doesn't recognize borders. Uh, I've never heard of a demi pan. To me, it sounds like a pizza topic or a pizza base. Uh, you know, the chaotic good personality so lots of stuff that I want to go off and explore a bit more about because uh you know wow what an inspirational person you work with when I heard her first and I heard her energy I was just like oh I have to I have to talk to this woman I just thought it'd be lovely to have her energy and her just just her bubbliness on on our podcast and her story obviously because it was a really interesting story because in most cases you hear the women have left and now they're with other women but she's still with her husband and she comes and she's queer like she identifies as queer so I, I just loved her whole story and she's four kids you know I mean she's got a very busy life so yeah it, it is it's it's brilliant um no just I just I have to say I hope I hope other women are inspired by her and, and her story as well and I think that's the wonderful thing she is just who she is no argument I just think it, it's a it's a great story she mentioned Shit's Creek so that's on Netflix and it's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T-S by the way if anybody not, not the way I've written it down not the way you've probably <laughs> written it no so I did and put it a double really, T <laughs> a few more um so it is I, I actually watched about three or four seasons you need about three or four episodes to get into it by the way give it if you are listening don't just watch the first one um because it does get better it really does so um definitely that's one for the content today the other one um becky and i did post it on our facebook page happiest season have you seen that being advertised no oh. Happiest season. Happiest season. It's, I, I did post it up um, on our um, Facebook page and it's a lovely, it looks like a lovely kind of comedy, two lesbians, they're madly in love, living together. It's Christmas time or Thanksgiving, I, I don't know which one it is. And they're going home to to, to one of their houses. Um, I think somebody from Schitt's Creek is in it actually. Actually he is. One of the guys from Schitt's Creek is in the happiest, the happiest season. He's in the film. Wearing, don't you, Caroline? I love, I love it. I can say it because <laughs> I know how to spell it, so I know I'm not cursing. <laughs> so, um, anyway, just before they they rock up and ring the doorbell to go into the house, the one of the girls whose whose house it is, whose parents' house it is, turns around and goes, "By the way, my parents don't know I'm lesbian. They don't know I'm going out with anybody," and that kind of starts the whole. Oh. 
the two weeks or whatever. I haven't watched it. Obviously, it is now till the end of November. But that's kind of the storyline wow. of it. And it looks funny, relaxed, Christmassy, perfect for the end of November. Gosh. Well, I've discovered a few as well. There's been um, quite a lot on the iPlayer and actually Channel 4. Um, so I can't remember what the iPlayer is for, for Channel 4 or the catch up for Channel 4. But um, there's a lot of films on there, um, certainly on one of them. And I can't remember which one it is. It, they're called Shorts. So the short British films. Um, and they're brilliant. Um, very insightful. Young uh, audience. Uh, sorry, young participants. So it's it's again learning about um, somebody who is trans, somebody else who um, doesn't wish to, so non-binary. Um, and again, it's just wonderful how one you see them coming to terms with it themselves and then sharing their story with others. So uh, really, really good. Really Great. enjoyed seeing those. So I, I presume it's in link with either Pride and I've just not seen it. So it's to do with Pride Week or a, another celebration. But it's nice that they've got those up there. Must check it out because I can get catch up for. I think it's catch up E four catch up E four. Is, is it E four? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like that. I do have. I do have something. So I must. I must check it. But what a great day we had, or what a great conversation we had today, and it was great to catch up with you, Becky. And you, and you're looking very well, very sprightly. Thank you. So, Thank you. So are you. Your new sweatshirt. So you're going to tell me about your new sweatshirt? <laughs> can you see it? No, oh, I can now. <laughs> No, no, it's um my company. Um, again for again they're they're great at different diversity and inclusion groups. So they had um obviously International Coming Out Day, but then they had you know Pride in in June, and they've had lots of different. Actually, tomorrow there's a transgender talk. Um, and I think there's people from all over the world um talking uh, you know live through a blue jeans link but my t-shirt is i chose the pride one obviously not the women in network or the veteran one but it's just it's just the colors of all the different flags the pride flags with the a which i hadn't noticed <laughs> and i i love it actually it's, it's a really nice one and carissa was wearing her one as well yeah. um so we were both we, we looked like we had coordinated our wardrobe this morning or today for our, our call and um, like i should have got you one as well <laughs> Well, next time I see you, um, which probably be in September next year, then, uh, yeah, well, hopefully in September next year, I look forward to receiving my sweatshirt. Yes, I will get you one. <laughs> no challenge. But before that, hopefully you will all come over to Ireland. All the people that we've talked to and promised a, a session in Dublin when yeah. everything opens up because we have a, a, a vaccine now, don't we? So um, hopefully in the next few months, we'll all be vaccined and we'll be able to see each other. Yeah, here's hoping. Here's hoping we can get back into uh, having some sort of face-to-face -face communication. We're recording together in the same room. <laughs> oh, no, that'd be scary. Can you imagine what we'd be like? We'd be giggling the whole time. Yeah, I know. It could be dangerous. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it again. So you keep well. You too. Take care. Bye.